The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. We are in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're in a series called Make Us Holy. And today, as we pray that the Lord would make us holy, we're going to pray that He will do that in marriage as we talk about marriage matters. Now, as we talk about this, I, I want you to know a little bit of, of who I am in our story in marriage. Laura and I met August 9th of one year. We got married August 7th of the next. We dated and were engaged long distance. So she spent a year not really having to live with me, just knowing that I was the best thing to come out of Deweyville, Texas, which is a low bar, right? <laughs> and and then she, she realized, oh, I've married an incredibly selfish person. And I, our first year, and I say this with her permission, our first year, we really think if we had not been believers, we wouldn't have made it. Four months into, into marriage, she got pregnant with our first child, which was plan. Uh, we were shocked by that. Um, and we just fought a lot. And I remember that February, we got married in August, that February we went to read scripture at her friend's wedding and we were just not liking each other, faking it as we read the scripture. We go back to the hotel room and on our faces before the Lord, in tears before the Lord, just acknowledged how incredibly selfish both, both of us were and renewed this commitment to one another, my gosh, six months in, you're renewing your commitment. It's not going well, right? <laughs> but God, by his grace, has continued to grow our hearts for one another and our, our love for one another, and we are grateful. I, I say that to say, we're gonna talk about this beautiful concept of marriage today, but I wanna talk about it as someone who is in the battle with you. Marriage has been a good, good idea for a really long time. It's magnificent. It's made by God so that man and woman, male plus female together, would spread God's image through marriage, through multiplication over all the earth. But marriage is marred by sin. It's this beautiful proposition in scripture. And when a man and a woman are walking in the spirit together, it can be the most lovely representation of Christ and his church. And when they don't, it's difficult. So when we talk about marriage, we want to talk about it from the Bible, both proactively and reactively, proactively because it's a good idea. Genesis 1 starts and there's this picture of creation and there are these things that complement one another. There's night and day. There's the sun and the moon. There's land and there's sea. There are plants and animals and then there's male plus female, and this male and female, man and woman, are made in God's image. And this beautiful mingling of man and woman becoming one is made to spread God's fame. There are joys of it that we won't dive into on a Sunday morning, but all of Scripture and all of creation, in fact, look to this mingling of heaven and earth that's coming when Jesus comes for his bride and the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven and heaven and earth are mingled together again. One theologian says, that's why I believe the biblical picture of man and woman together in marriage is not something about which we can say, 
Oh, well, they had some funny ideas back then. We know better now. The biblical view of marriage is part of the larger view of new creation, and it symbolizes God's divine plan. Well, as you can imagine, not everybody thinks so today, so we speak biblically reactively as well to people like Sophie Lewis. Sophie Lewis is an academic. She's got degrees from Oxford, from Manchester. She's a visiting professor at Penn. And Sophie Lewis's latest book calls for the abolition of the family. She says the family is a terrible way to satisfy all our desires for love, care, and nourishment. It's an awful place for intimacy. She acknowledges family abolition does call into question some of our most deeply held notions ourselves about kinship, belonging, identity, and what we consider natural. You think? So, but you understand why she might say it though, right? If only we as families together could come into a larger community where we loved one another and served one another and cared for one another together. The church is meant to look like that. Marriage is meant to model that. But family is under attack, not just from without, but from within. The bridal industry in the United States every year is a $2 billion industry. The divorce industry is a $50 billion industry. I've got a couple of great lawyer jokes for you. There are a million divorces a year, one every 36 seconds, 2,400 a day, 16,800 a week, a whole lot of heartbreak. Fatherlessness, men not caring for their children is on the rise in every demographic in our nation. The stats on adultery are just plain gross. One in three women and one in four men have experienced some form of physical violence from their partner. And yet the great majority of people and the great majority of nations still get married. There must be something great about it. Now you might hear that and go, hey, I'm, I'm a single. Can I, can I leave now, right? Well, here, here's the thing. You might get married. You might not if you're a single. You, you may, you may not. But whether you do or not, you're part of this family. And we live in a, in a culture that would go, hey, married people, you can't really talk to singles about anything in their life. And single people, you really can't say anything to married people. But we're a family. We look different than the world. So as a married brother or sister, I think that I or my wife ought to be able to encourage you as a single. And I think you as a single ought to be able to encourage us. In fact, there are a couple of ladies in our church that are single ladies that I know do this amazing job of speaking to their married sisters in Christ. And, and so this is a message for us as family. Throughout human history, the family has been the fabric and foundation of most societies so when marriages live for the glory of God, it can be a beautiful expression of humanity at its best, redemption at its brightest, and a reminder of God's love and mandate for husbands and wives carried out in front of children and the world. Being followers of Jesus ought to radically alter how we interact in every relationship, certainly in marriage. See, Genesis 3 speaks of a curse on the marriage relationship. And 1 Peter 3 tells us some of the ways that that curse can be undone. And Peter writes as a man who's in the battle as well. Peter, as he traveled as an apostle, took his wife with him. We know from scripture. 
We know from history, we hear that Peter was crucified upside down. The historian Eusebius says that Peter's wife was crucified with him. In fact, she was crucified before him. And as she was walking to her death as a martyr in Christ, Peter was shouting, remember the Lord, remember the Lord. So he writes as a married man to married women and men. So let's read this text together. First Peter 3, 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, the putting on of clothing, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. God, we need your help today. Lord, it's a, it's a text that's beautiful and paints this beautiful picture, but it's also got some words in it that are hard to hear, hard to process, words that we often misunderstand, words that we wrestle with. God, would you give us grace to hear from you today and help us as we hear to see something beautiful that mirrors Christ and the church to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, 1 Peter 3 starts with the word likewise, which means we have to go backwards into 1 Peter 2. He wasn't writing in a vacuum. These seven verses are not seven verses separated from the rest of this book or the Bible. They're part of a letter that's part of the New Testament that's part of all of Scripture. And so when he says likewise, we look back to two or three things that he might be speaking to. I think one has to be central. He's told all the people to be subject to every human authority. And then he says that servants are to be subject to their masters, but then he speaks about Christ. Chapter two, verse 21, he says, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. So there are several likewises there, but this one for sure, he entrusted himself as he was dying for our sins, suffering unjustly. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He submitted to the father's authority. So likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word. Well, submission can be defined this way. It's a voluntary yielding to a recognized authority. Verses five and six make this clear. It is voluntary. Husbands nowhere in scripture are you called to make your wife submit. It's a word to wives. It's an invitation to godliness. Further, 
this does mean voluntary submission. It does not mean or carry the idea that one partner is morally or spiritually inferior, submitting to one morally or superior or spiritually superior than herself. It doesn't mean that the wife is less than equal with the husband. It doesn't mean the wife never disagrees with the husband. It does not mean that every woman submits to every man. It's wives to husbands, and it certainly does not mean stay and pray. Well, what does that mean, stay and pray? There is this idea that goes around in some with a spouse that if you're in an abusive relationship, you just stay and pray. Listen, we don't counsel divorce at Temple Bible Church, but we will tell you if you are in an abusive situation, if you do not feel safe, get out of that situation until you do feel safe. Right? Your husband can be one without a word if you're in the home or if you're out of the home. If you're not in a safe situation, let us know. We're not calling you to stay and pray in an abusive situation. Submission is meant to be a glad surrender and a beautiful marriage, a surrender like Jesus, a distinctly Christian response, a beautiful expression of Christ in the church. Now we hear this, and as we hear men called to live with their wives in an understanding way, some of you are on your mind right now, instead of looking at the text, you're going, Chase, if you only knew my husband, if you only knew my wife, right? I think Peter would say, hey, if y'all in Central Texas only knew some of these husbands and wives in Asia Minor. It's a call to submit, even if some do not obey the word. Kathy Keller, wife of Tim Keller, who was a longtime pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian in Manhattan. Kathy herself, a published author, a speaker. She says this, she says, submission is a gift. Jesus' willing acceptance of this role was wholly voluntary, a gift to his father. I discovered that my submission in marriage was a gift I offered, not a duty coerced from me. If it was not an assault on the divinity and dignity of the second person of the Godhead to submit to himself and assume the role of a servant, then how could it possibly injure me to be asked to play out the Jesus role in my marriage. It's a gift even if some do not obey. See, some of these people, they had trusted Christ in Asia Minor and their spouse didn't. There were wives who trusted Christ and their husband had not. There were husbands who trusted Christ and their wife had not. That's not all the people, but some, Peter says, you still live out this beautiful picture of Christ in the church in front of them. Your husband can be one without a word. Now, this is not, I'm going to be a silent witness. I'm not going to talk about Jesus in my home. And we know that because, again, this wasn't written in a vacuum. Look back with me. At 1 Peter 2, 9, we looked at this two weeks ago. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We speak about the gospel. You speak about the gospel. It is a good thing to speak about the gospel in your home. It is not good to tell your spouse everything they are doing wrong. I was talking to a man about this one time and he's like, no, 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 it's always right. It's always right. It's always good to tell the truth. I say, your wife ever come out in a dress you didn't like and you tell her? 
And his mind changed on the subject really quickly, right? The, the idea is not that we don't speak about Jesus, but the idea is actually that we don't manipulate with our words. We're gonna see this clearly because husbands and wives alike can be one without a word. Again, 1 Peter 2, 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. They may see your good deeds and glorify God. So he says, your husband can be one without a word when he sees your respectful and pure conduct. There's this, this idea in society that we respect people who are respectable. Well, what if my spouse isn't living respectably? Listen, we can love people who are hard to love and we can honor people who are hard to honor. And when we do it, we model Christ. We model what Peter has called everyone to do. And he says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Nero would persecute Christians to their death. And he's telling them, honor the emperor. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now here is another thing. Submission is not, nothing in involved in this involves sinning against God. If your spouse, husband or wife, ladies, if your husband is trying to force you to sin, don't do it. That's what community's for. That's when you speak to your small group leaders. That's when you speak to a Sunday school teacher. That's when you contact the elders. That's when you contact the church. This is a call to holy and pure conduct, not a call to be forced to sin. It's done out of reverence for God, out of holiness. The idea here is that you don't wield your words as weapons. And then he's also going to say, don't wield your bodies as weapons. We don't manipulate with our words. We don't manipulate with our bodies. I know nobody in here would do this, but apparently there were some ladies in the first century in Asia Minor who could manipulate with their words and manipulate with their appearance. Fortunately, in our society, nobody tries to do that, right? But Peter, Peter says some things to, to ladies here that there are three outward things and three inward things that he says in verse three, he says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing you wear. There are things in society that come to mind Ladies can be pretty good at manipulating with their words and manipulating with their bodies. Now listen, ladies, Peter is gonna say the same sort of thing to men. Don't manipulate with your words and don't manipulate with your body. I know it's opening weekend of bow season, so if your husband's bow hunting, ladies, you just text him and say, Chase is preaching a great message in 10 minutes. Turn it on, all right? And we'll be speaking to them. Don't manipulate with your words. Don't manipulate with your body. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry and the clothing you wear. Now, some people misapply this scripture and they go, okay, you hear what Peter said? No braids in your hair, right? No gold jewelry. Is that what he means though? I don't think it is because as you read it, he says, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. Now, I'm pretty sure that even from Deweyville, Texas, you don't have to be a biblical scholar to know Peter wanted these ladies to wear clothes, right? He just did. It's not 
that these things are forbidden, but these things can't be your identity. They can't be where you find your source of power or love from. They can't be what defines you and don't use them as a weapon. Don't use them as a weapon and there's a reason. See, appearance was a big deal back then and it's a big deal today but it doesn't actually get us what we want. In the United States, we are number one in the world in cosmetic spending. We spend $39 billion a year on cosmetics, and that's before we even get to cosmetic surgery. We are 23 in the world in happiness. So see, appearance doesn't make you happy. We think, oh, if I look like this, if I have this look, I will be happy. Japan is number two in cosmetic spending and Japan is number 90 in the world in happiness. Don't use your appearance to gain happiness. Why do we do this? We do this because we want to be seen. We want to be seen and there's a message for us in verse four, you are seen. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Some would say, ladies, there are three things ladies want. They want to be seen, they want to be secure, they want to be known. And lady, this, ladies, this word says you're seen. You're seen. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, don't use your body to win your husband to yourself. Use your character to help him know Christ. God's not opposed to physical beauty, he created it. But in this passage, we're reminded it's internal beauty he's looking for. Internal beauty he finds joy in. It's something that cosmetics can't produce, Botox can't buy, and wrinkles can't take away. It's this internal beauty. I don't know if you know this, but if you get married, the person that you marry will not look the way they look when you marry them 50 years later. And you will not look how you looked when you married them 50 years later. But internal beauty can actually grow with age. It can become more beautiful. As I speak this word to ladies before we speak to husbands, I just think about Laura Bowers and Laura and I are in, a, we're in an argument right now actually. I want to put her bridal portrait in my office and because she didn't want it up in the house anymore. That's just, just the cheesiest thing in the world. Do not do that. And I look back, I love that picture. I mean, love that picture, right? My favorite dress she's ever worn and she's never worn it again, right? But I, I'll tell you, I love that lady I married 23 years ago, but I love who she is now all the more. I want to learn from her. I want her wisdom. I want her insight. I love how she loves me, how she loves the people she works with, how she loves our children, how she serves others. It's an internal imperishable beauty and then there's this phrase that nobody likes of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in God's sight we just don't like this passage I was talking to some folks about this text one time and they don't love how we read it and the husband actually said well that might be fine for people with a gentle and quiet spirit Chase 
And I just said, hey, I did not write a gentle and quiet spirit. A guy named Peter who was a friend of Jesus did, right? But I think the, the problem is we think it's a personality trait. We think it's something that's natural to us, but it's not. It's a supernatural internal disposition that's brought about by the Holy Spirit. And it's not just for ladies. It's a really good idea for men. First Timothy 2 says we ought to seek to live a peaceful and quiet life. It says in, in chapter 3, the Lord's bondservant must be gentle. Heaven from above is peaceable and pure. It's gentle. It listens to reason. We're told God is in heaven and we're on earth. We ought to let our words be few. A gentle and quiet spirit is a really good idea, but we wrestle with it. Seminary professor Howard Hendricks told about a time where he had a guy that he was discipling that was Irish and the guy was brash and he was just loud and kind of harsh with people. And Howard Hendricks was talking to him about this and about how it's a problem. It didn't reflect Christ well. And the guy says, well, Howard, I understand what you're saying, but it's just who I am. I'm Irish. And Howard Hendricks said, I've got really good news. Jesus died to transform Irish people too. See, it's not natural personality. It's Jesus transforming us and it is precious in God's sight. It might not be in the world, but it's beautiful in God's sight and you're seen. You're seen. You're not just seen, you're secure. So he tells ladies, this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. And then Peter writes what I think is one of the most misunderstood verses in all of Scripture. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Women have read that verse and go, you know, that there is no way I'm calling him Lord, right? And men have read that verse. Hey, Sarah called Abraham Lord, right? And did you understand? Right? King of my castle. Well, listen. Sarah did call Abraham Lord, little L Adon, not big L Adonai, but she actually didn't call Abraham Lord to Abraham. She said it to herself. She might have some time, but what we know of is she said it to herself. Turn to Genesis 18 with me. Genesis chapter 18. See, Peter over and over and over in this book has referenced very specific passages. And I think when he mentions this, he's referencing a very specific passage. Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear what is fearful. On Genesis 18, the angel of the Lord comes to Sarah and Abraham, and they are old. They are old. Abraham is 99. Sarah's 89. It's been 24 years since they were told they were going to have a baby. They've not had a baby. They say to Abraham, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Kids, if you want to know what the way of women is, ask your parents on the way home, okay? The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself. She says this to herself. After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? She says it to herself. After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the angel says, why did she laugh? 
Well, she laughed because she's 89, right? It's a little cold in the desert at night. She's got on her sweater that says, I'd rather be 90 than pregnant, right? (laughs) And she hears she's going to have a baby? That's scary. It's frightening. But she did not fear that which is frightening. How do you not do that? How do you not fear that which is frightening? There's a a picture throughout scripture. Esther, who was born for such a time as this, did not fear that which was frightening. Proverbs 31 speaks of this woman and it says that she laughs. This woman cares for her house and she laughs at the future. Sarah laughed at the future. She couldn't believe it. There's a different sort of laughing in the future. We live in America now walking a tightrope between inflation and recession and the future is uncertain. And the scripture says she cannot fear that which is frightening. She laughs at that which is to come because she is entrusting herself to him who judges justly. There is security because your hope is not in your husband, not in his actions, but in God who raises the dead. Satan and society and sin inside of us want to make marriage a battlefield, but God designed it to be a fruitful field where we multiply and cover the earth with his image. So just as there's a word to wives, there's a word to husbands. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. See, Peter spoke to women about their actions, about their appearance, and about their assurance. He's going to speak to men about their actions, and about their attitude, and about their authentic religion. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Literally, the word is live with knowledge. Now, this is not analytical knowledge, but personal insight, it's not this idea of I know what the Bible says, so I'll teach my wife and she can learn from me. She can't learn on her own. It's this loving and considerate care, this knowing of her. Some would say women long to be seen, long to be secure, and long to be known. And husbands, you've got this opportunity to model Christ by knowing your wife live in an understanding way. So that means that, that leading in the home looks nothing like the world. We come as servants because Christ came as a servant. We come to give our lives away, to sacrifice. That's reflected in how we listen to our wives. It's reflected in the time that we spend caring for our wives. It's reflected in how we come to understand our wives. Some of you in this room today know the batting average of the last 17 American League batting champions. You don't know whether your wife likes flowers or not. You don't know what her hopes and fears and dreams are. See, there there are men in this room that clearly, clearly, clearly understand 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, but when they hear about obeying authorities, they go, I'm gonna demand my rights. I'm gonna do whatever I want. No government's gonna tell me what to do. They understand what it means for someone to be subject to them, but they won't subject themselves to anyone, including Jesus. And it's ugly. Show honor. 
show honor. The scripture couldn't be more clear that Christian men are called to love their wives and die for them. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's a dying to self daily for the good of this woman you love. In the same way, husbands should love their wives. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body, it's this call to show with your actions what you believe as you love your wife and then you show it with your attitude, with your life, you display it and then you show it with your heart and mind. You show it with your heart and mind. We're told to live with our wives as an understand, in an understanding way, showing honor to her as the weaker vessel. Well, what in the world does that mean? Because people have misconstrued that, misused that, said it in all kinds of ways that are wrong. There are a couple of ways I think it's, it's true. One is that there is this reality in the first century that men held the power and women were in a weaker position. I think more precisely is this is a, a pretty natural thing. This is not true with every man and with every woman, but most men and most women Men have bodies that are stronger. And so Peter told women, don't manipulate with your words and don't manipulate with your bodies. And I think he's telling men, don't manipulate a situation with your bodies. Nothing can make a man feel worse than the woman he loves speaking harshly to him. Nothing can make a woman feel worse than the man she loves speaking harshly to her. And men, you don't use your strength to manipulate a situation. You don't use your power to manipulate a situation. You don't be harsh with your wives. Do not manipulate. You learn her fears, you learn her prayers, you learn her desires because she is a co-heir of the grace of life with you. We believe that husbands should lead their families through loving like Jesus. We believe the husband and wife grow with one another and learn from one another in Christ. They're co-equal as children of Abraham through faith and children of God through the blood of Christ. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, women and men get to play the Jesus role in marriage. Jesus in his sacrificial authority and Jesus in his sacrificial submission. By accepting our gender roles and operating within them, we're able to demonstrate to the world concepts that are so counterintuitive as to be completely unintelligible unless they're lived out by men and women in Christian marriages. See, we're meant to be in this together and it can be beautiful when we are. Five ways that it can be beautiful when we are. Forgive my simple application. Way number one is that you Christian together. Well, what does that mean? that you're Christian together, that you're part of the body of Christ together, that you're growing together in Christ. Statistically, it's simply true. If you're in this room together week in and week out, your marriage has a much greater chance of thriving, not just surviving, but thriving than if you're not. If you're in a small group together, studying the word together, your marriage has a much greater opportunity to survive and thrive than if you're not. And then if you're praying together, the stats just go higher and higher and higher. Does that mean it's always going to be that way? Does that mean it's always going to work out? No, but statistically it's true. It's a proverbial truth. 
Now, man, I want to say some of you hear that, and I know you're scared to do that. You're afraid to do that. You don't know what to say. You don't know how to pray aloud with your wife, but I guarantee you there's not a woman in the room if you, morning or night, reach over and grab her hand and you just say that, God, I, I don't know what to pray, but I know we need help. I know we need to be together. I know we need to love each other. Would you help us, God? Not a woman in this room is gonna be bothered by that. She'll find it beautiful. You Christian together. And then you be intimate together. This is not just about being physical. That's not what we're talking about. Yes, that's a part of this, right? If you're married, you're one flesh. But it's a deeply knowing one another in such a way that a physical relationship reflects the oneness of a mental, emotional, social relationship together. Christian together, be intimate together, parent together. Be of one mind, be on the same page, have the same goals, honor, love, and respect one another. This means that men, your children cannot disrespect your wives with their mouths, with their actions, with their attitude. You'll have none of it. That's your wife. None of it. Ladies, it means that you'll have none of your children disrespecting your husband speaking down to your husband, speaking rudely, rolling their eyes at, you'll have none of it. I've, I've heard a couple of things as it relates to parents and finance. By the way, children, financing, and adultery, the three biggest reasons divorce comes about. I've heard there are these moments where kids are teenagers, the girl's doing some things she doesn't need to be doing, mom finds out about it, she wants to protect her daughter, doesn't tell dad. Young man's doing some foolish things, dumb things that he doesn't need to be doing. Dad hears about it. Oh, he's just being a boy. We don't need to tell mom. Can I just tell you, if you make your child's popularity your idol, it'll become the demon that attacks your marriage. It will not work. It won't lead to satisfaction. It just leads to pain. Parent together and then finance together. Finance together. What do I mean? I, I think most people in the room go, well, yes, obviously. Listen, I've heard of this thing that happens and I, I just don't get it in the church. Men and women, two income families and what he makes is his and what she makes is hers. And that just blows my mind. If, if that is you, I have two words for you this morning. Write them down. Stop it. That's just a recipe for disaster in your marriage. Well, no, my funds are mine. I make what I make. I get what car I want. She makes what she makes. She can get what car she wants. We're one in Christ, except we just don't trust each other with money, right? See, it sounds like money's your guide, not Jesus. Don't do it. Finance together. Trust God and one another together. And then enjoy one another's enjoyment. That might mean that you have to get to know one another again. That You might learn to love the things your wife loves. She might learn to love the things that you love. It's, it's not just about staying together. See, some of you go, well, we're staying together for the kids. Well, what happens when the kids leave? No, the goal is just stay together. In fact, there's a ministry. I really like this ministry. I'm not going to tell you their name because they just got this one wrong. They post the other day on social media, the goal is not being in love, it's keeping a covenant. I get what they're saying, right? Whether you fall in or out of love, you keep the covenant. But I'm just thinking, could we do both? 
could, could we keep the covenant and be in love? I had this great uncle and aunt named Bob and Sue Baby. They lived in Colfax, Louisiana. And they were the best and the worst of the Old South. Bob and Sue Baby loved everybody. And everybody in Colfax, Louisiana called him Bob Bowers. Everybody in Colfax, Louisiana called her Sue Baby, except he called her Miss Sue and she called him Mr. Bob. I would go visit them as a teen. I was sitting on the back porch with Uncle Bob and he's smoking camel unfilters, sitting in a rocking chair, tapping them on her porch. And she'd come out, sweep it and say, Mr. Bob, don't tap your ashes on my porch. And they'd kind of smile. So then she brought out a Folgers coffee can. Kids, coffee used to come in a can, right? (laughs) And she had broken off a clothes hanger, hooked it in the can and she put it right, literally, he's got his hand on the arm of his rocking chair. She puts this ashtray right under his hand. He goes, thank you, Miss Sue, switches hands, takes a puff, taps it on that side. (laughs) Oh, Mr. Bob, and they're just playing back and forth. And so she goes in the house after telling him what she's about to do with that cigarette if he doesn't straighten up. (laughs) And I said, Uncle Bob, everybody calls you Bob Bowers and everybody calls her Sue Baby. Why, Why do you call her Miss Sue? I never saw Uncle Bob cry until that day. It's just this beautiful thing. And he just stopped and said, I call her Miss Sue because she's the best woman I've ever known and she always will be. And I just love that honor. My dad said, why is she the best woman you know? And he kind of laughed and said, because she's put up with me all these years, son. <laughs> See, they just continued to grow in love for one another. And I think scripture calls us to do that. It ought to be this beautiful thing where there's this glad surrender to Christ of husband and wife together. And when it happens, it mirrors Christ in the church. Now, ladies, if your husband's not walking with Christ, the scripture still calls you to submit to them with pure and holy conduct. And husbands, if your wife's not walking with Christ, the scripture still calls you to live with them in an understanding way. Because they're heirs with you of the grace of life. See, when Jesus was entrusting himself to him who judges justly, he was dying for our sins. He rose from the dead. And now we are co-heirs with Christ and our spouse. If we're married together, heirs of the grace of life, we're children of God. And then there's this last verse. Ladies, there might have been a phrase or two in here that you wish wasn't in there. Well, men, pay attention to this one. So that your prayers may not be hindered. God ties your love for your wife to authentic religion, to not living in duplicity. You ever have one of your kids just harms the other kid and you stop and get them to apologize? In my house, that's throwing a ball at someone or a lightsaber or a game system remote, you know, and they just nail the other and you stop and go, hey, you need to apologize to your brother. Yeah, I'm sorry. Whoa, 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 hold on. No, no, you need to, you need to say, you actually, you got to be sorry. Right, right, sorry, sorry. Can I go play? You have to stop them. And you go, okay, listen, you don't understand. This is not about your brother anymore. This is about you and me. Until your heart looks different, we're not okay. 
This is you and dad here. And what God's word says is husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel since they're heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. I'm not listening until you get this right. See, the truth is for men and women, the greatest threat to our family is our own pride. When we stop focusing on the purpose of marriage and the mission of our family and we start asking, what do I get out of this? We're missing this reality that our spouse is a gift from God. See, we said at the beginning that all scripture and all creation are in fact looking to this mingling of heaven and earth. When Jesus comes back and marries his bride, that's why the biblical picture of man and woman together in marriage is not something about which we can say, hey, they had some funny ideas back then, but we know better now. This biblical view of marriage is part of a divine plan for new creation. It symbolizes and points to this divine plan where husbands and wives are loving and respecting one another together. And when we do this, we can do this in glad surrender. I'm just going to ask you to stand with me if you would. And as you stand, I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads. And as you, as you bow, I know that I speak to people who some of you want to be married. You long for it. Your heart aches for it. Some of you are in a marriage that's difficult. You're both struggling. You want to love one another. You don't want to fight, but you just keep fighting. Some of you, you're married and you don't want to be. You need God to restore your heart for marriage. Just going to ask you to pray and consider how God might speak to you in this moment. You might need some further response. And if you need that further response, there's an email up on the screen. Just connect at tbcweb.org. You email that, it'll come to me and either I or another pastor or elder will reach out to you and your spouse. Seek to pray with you, encourage you, help you along the way. I want to pray for us now before we sing. God, we humble ourselves before you and we just confess we need your help in marriage, God. We need your Holy Spirit to awaken our hearts for one another every day. We need your power to live as the husbands and the wives that you're calling us to be. And God, I know there's this truth that you can do in marriage far beyond what we ask or imagine. You can... You can transform marriages that are in the most difficult place, not just to a spot where they can stay together, but to a spot where they can love one another and mirror Christ and the church to the world in ways they can't even imagine. God, there's nothing too difficult for you. I pray today in this room, God, for men and women who desperately need to cling to you and to one another. God, do a restoring, a healing, a comforting work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.